Welcome to Not Project Space. Not Project Space is powered by the Digital Arts Resource Centre, located in Ottawa on the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Nation. The space is uniquely configured to present installations, screenings, and performances by contemporary artists working within the field of media art. The Digital Arts Resource Center Members Portal is packed with a full audiovisual library of online content, including workshops, lectures, artist talks, publications, curated artist resources, and more. Become a Dark member today and get access immediately. Visit digitalartsresourcecenter.ca to sign up and take your artistic practice to the next level. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Not Project Space's new podcast series. My name is Anise Ducharme, and today I'll be talking with artists Emilio Portal and Manuel Pina Baldequin about their work in our online exhibition, In Space Grey. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge that we're connecting with you today from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Nation. We honor the Algonquin people who have occupied this territory since time immemorial and whose culture has nurtured and continues to nurture this land and its people. We are grateful to be guests on this land where we have the opportunity to work, live, and create. In an effort to make this acknowledgement more active, we ask that you learn about the land that you're joining us from today and that you read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's 94 Calls to Action. Please follow the link in the episode description. In Space Gray is a durational, mostly asynchronous online exhibition meditating on themes of connection, environmental extraction, and accelerated capitalism. Emilio Portal is a mixed transdisciplinary artist, maker, designer, musician, producer, and sound engineer who was born in New Westminster, British Columbia. Emilio holds a Bachelor in Fine Arts from Laurentian University, a Bachelor of Environmental Design Studies in Architecture from Dalhousie University, a Permaculture Design Certificate, a Natural Building Passport issued from OUR Eco Village, and a Master's of Fine Arts from the University of Victoria. Emilio Portaz Gets No Owl event remediates the process of sound mixing by adding a networked call for collective sonic connection. We started with having conversations with Cora, who's the director of Myths and Mirrors, and we we're talking about different, different kind of uh, events we could do during the pandemic to kind of get more participation going on, you know, and because the community kind of vibe in, in, it was totally kind of disrupted and there was not much community art going on at all so we're discussing how can we how can we have some kind of engagement on a maybe local provincial maybe national level that you know get people excited about something being created like together and somehow i i don't know if it was me or we started talking about sound and I started suggesting, well, maybe people could take field recordings of where where they are and different sounds um, that they're listening to, that they hear in their in their local area. And uh, so we started talking about more more sounds that are from ecology and from nature and things that people, you know, go go to to get some kind of sanity and relief from like the the bombardment of every day and also like from isolation during pandemic during during all of these orders to stay home and not do anything and 
you know, basically, I think that's taken a huge toll on people. And going for walks in the woods and, you know, sitting by a lake and that kind of thing has been hugely beneficial for me and, and my family. And we've we kind of uh, wanted to almost share that in this uh, with this project. So the project started with a call for field recordings. We even got some field recordings from Europe. It was kind of amazing. So there was over 60 submissions that were s- submitted and emailed. There was no there was no kind of jury. We just accepted everything. <laughs> so in the end, I had uh, yeah a, a huge amount of field recordings to go through. And the first kind of project was to kind of create a an ongoing like listening experience as if you were kind of walking through all these different zones, all these different places. So we had field recordings from, like I said, from Europe and then some from Quebec and Ontario and even some from BC from all over the place. And what I had to do was create a long kind of soundtrack, but, (laughs) and, and work with all of these different variant qualities of recordings and different volumes. So there was a lot of, a lot of calibration and, and work to try to get this piece so you could listen to it and not have these hugely jarring ups and downs and levels, you know? So uh, I think that's, that's kind of where it started was a, was a desire to kind of get people um, involved in something more communal and more, um, collaborative so that you know we didn't feel all so much alone I think some of these sounds really kind of just like stood out for me not as being like higher quality or anything like that but just that they had some kind of deeper effect and it's more maybe a poetic effect that I can't really describe so much but the owls sound was definitely one of those and so um the way that I that I worked, I mean, the way that I mixed these kind of pieces is, I look at these field recordings and I start to like break them down into very like small parts and see the potential as for using them as kind of instruments. So I start to look at all these very uh, like pinpoint spots in that field recording, and there's like kind of infinite spots like that, you know points in in that small field recording which is probably only like 20 seconds long or something like that and I don't think I use that full 20 seconds it's more like looking at the different aspects and different spots that would maybe create something more percussive or more melodic and start to play along and explore those kind of areas of the field recording so that's kind of the starting point Emilio makes two albums from over 60 field recording submissions over the course of the collaborative community-engaged project She Is Awakening. First album is is that long piece. You have the long, uh, almost like a score of sorts, like a long, almost like a sound walk that's composed with all the different field recordings that came from, from everywhere. So that was... A, a real challenge in mixing the levels so that every single field recording was more or less within the sound, same kind of loudness range so you didn't have like these huge jumps. And then I, I made a few compositions in the method that I was kind of describing of exploring specific kind of uh, uh, 
field recordings. So the Owls was one of them. Then there was another one with, uh, I believe it was a grouse, a grouse sound from uh, from Vancouver Island, I think. And that was a very short field recording. Like I'm talking 10 seconds or something. Yeah, so the way that you kind of explore the sample, I kind of create multiple different tracks. So I kind of treat the sample as a new instrument. So it could be like, uh, okay, here's my kind of percussive low end. And then here's a more like kind of snare or shaker sound. And then it, you can build it up that way and then try to create all these different uh, instrumentations. And maybe it's more like a, a melodic bass sound and then a higher melodic, more like keys and all these kind of different ways of, of approaching it. Maybe there's a like a more ambient background kind of uh, drone sound that could be u utilized, you know. And there's so many ways of approaching it. I think the computer is so useful because it allows you to explore sound in a way that you couldn't do before, you know? Like you can go into like a microscopic way with a sound and start to look at the very small, like, like it's kind of unrealistic because you're looking at something that's so minuscule and kind of finite and you kind of yeah, it's hard to explain, but you're getting into like a rarefied zone of, of sound, but then that has its own signature and it's totally related to that field recording. So I, that's what's really intriguing to me is not about kind of making it so abstracted that you can't really recognize where it's from, but looking at the kind of signatures of that specific field recording, even if there's all kinds of background noise and stuff like that, there's ways of like working with those kind of like m maybe poor quality recordings and I'm really interested in that like interested in the kind of grit of sound you know and like not trying to eliminate that because I think there's a real kind of beauty of that the sound is going to carry the signature of however it was recorded and that's kind of like the source of it you know and so all these different devices that people use they use like possibly like really crappy phones to record these things with to record wherever they were and so there's a lot of sometimes like background noise or you know it's so um yeah they call that the the noise floor is like impossible to get rid of because it's so present because the volume at which the the piece was recorded was like so low that the noise was coming in there too or something like that and you can't really control those the inputs of like how you're recording on an iPhone, for example, it's just like, that's what you, that's what you get, you know? And it's got all these built-in, like, apps, and it's got all these built-in devices that'll change the sound as it's coming into your phone as well. It's got, like, built-in compressors and all these things, you know, that Apple or whatever company has, has designed for that in order to kind of create an optimal recording with that specific device, you know? But yeah, that I mean, it's so interesting to think about all these different uh, like technological devices and how we we capture sound that way. And the history of recording sound is actually not that old. It was like in, in the late 1800s when they were like recording. <laughs> I I was just reading about this so crazy about these 
like old either like wax or soft like metal kind of discs that were recording a certain frequency that was vibrating a needle onto the surface of this medium it's like that's how recording was done and the quality of it is like i i don't want to say it's a poor quality it's just so different because the medium is completely different you know yeah it's like whichever medium you're working with is kind of like that's what you're going to hear that's what you're going to replicate and just to think about how sound recording is not that old is fascinating for me because i think before that i mean humanity and its relationship with sound and music and that kind of thing i think it's probably was was quite different you know and maybe like dramatically different much like how Emilio Portal manipulates small specific samples of media encoded waves, Manuel Pina Baldequin in Nefragios manipulates a pixel sample of a visual wave, an anonymous body of water forming and folding a seascape. He shifts, warps, duplicates, and skews these pixel samplings into a story, inviting the viewer to consider through multiple orientations the sound of no shore. Born in La Habana, Manuel Pina Baldequin is a visual artist and educator who lives and works in Vancouver. His works investigates the relation between technology, spirituality, and justice. The, the title is called Naufragios in Spanish because there is not an exact translation in it. But for, so I, in some places I have used the, the title, The Sound of No Shore, yeah, which is a phrase uh, from a, uh, a poem by Rumi. And I felt it, it captures that, that feeling of, yeah, anyways. There was something, I felt there is one of the things, the many things that I felt in these images that there is sound to them. So I felt like this phrase really somehow brought that to the fore. The processes Manuel has worked with and thought through in his earlier practice led to the creation of Nefragios. So how the work came about, that's a very interesting well, maybe not by chance, of course, nothing is by chance, but uh, just yesterday I was uh, watching a video of, a, of an artist, comic book artist, who, um, or graphic novel artist, who was talking about, about drawing and, and, and as a free flow of, of uh, as an exercise in which you, what you call automatic drawing, which is basically kind of stepping aside and letting the, the images flow from whatever it is that they flow, right? And I thought so much about, uh, for many years, about that, how that process could take place in photography, which is such a uh, different process, right? Is that possible at all, you know? But when, actually, when I made these this works, uh, it was, to a large degree, that kind of processing, which I wasn't really, I was trying to somehow let the images happen. And it was actually the first time I did that, for whatever reason. And uh, so to a large degree, these are images that how came through in, in a very um, literal way, I guess. For this particular work, Manuel was interested in his relationship with the ocean. I, I had been working for many years, uh, or I guess many years ago, at the beginning of my art career, whatever that means, I made a series about the ocean, and I was still living in Havana, and the ocean had a very important connotations for 
particular connotations for any islander, right? And, and you you now are living in a situation that you will be in that relationship all the time, right? In front of the ocean and and and, and the horizon, right? That was beyond. So I had work on the, on the on the ocean, on the theme of the ocean, but this work they became my blessing and somehow my cruxes, I guess, because. From then on, no matter what I did, people always went back to that's what was always shown of my work, and that's what people think of me as, right? As a person who did these images, right? So I, I for many years, I resisted to do any work with about the ocean, uh, but this was a very beautiful way of coming back to it because I felt like I, I was coming from a very different place, uh, from a different path, from the other side of the ocean, so to speak. But they, they were other concerns, right? It was, in a way, is is uh, is a follow up to to some of those ideas uh, that I had exploring the first work. They were about being entrapment and, and, and journeys and dreams of journeys. Uh, but here is it was kind of many years after, right? I mean, you know, in other kind of journeys, and I go through many other journeys, and they all seem to come into these naufragios, these wreckages. That is just the beginning of some another new journey, and that's what what happens in the work. So the images started to come and to flow, and the more I guess active uh, part of my side was to very soon I started to wonder, well, could I could I actually make a film, quote unquote, or, a, or create a narrative using these words or these images. What, what, were they, what were they about, right? And that's why I made the piece in the format that you're showing them now, which is uh, is thought of as a story, as simple as that. And there is a, uh, a narrative and a beginning and an end, and, and, and some special moments in between. So yeah, it's a story. That's what it is. First work, it was about being in, in an island. And Cuba being a particular kind of isolation, the photos, the first series were taking, looking into the ocean, and, and the questions for so many Cubans, particularly in the time that I did those works, it was what is beyond there, for me, right? This longing for something that we never knew, uh, but also the possibility of escaping from a situation that had become unbearable. So. It had this, all these connotations, and, and of course it had also a much more personal set of questions behind. I felt, as most of my uh, uh, people at the time felt very trapped in a situation that we, we couldn't see a, a way out of. So the horizon there was more of a promise. But here the horizon is more like a, a constantly broken promise so to speak, right? So there is always these journeys in which we uh, we embark, and that's what somehow, it's like a life story, you know? You go into this journey and it ends up where it ends up, but and then something else, hopefully more beautiful, begins. So that's the horizon. The horizon is that place where we will never arrive. Thanks to both Emilio and Manuel for joining me to talk about their processes. I'm going to leave you with an excerpt of curatorial writing for In Space Gray. 
I have a space gray. I picked up space gray and I love it. Space gray is absolutely fine with no scratches or anything. I definitely opt for the space gray. Looks very sharp. You still happy with space gray? That particular tone of anodized aluminum, replicated and sold in multiplicity to no infinity, sits in the pockets of those of us who can afford it. Made available through environmentally extractive and opaque cycles of production, these technological accoutrements are used by us to connect with each other, to fracture our connection to each other, to ignore our surroundings, to ignore the functionings of the platforms themselves. Materials inform, materials support, Materials are erased in the nature of how we've been conditioned to receive them. Let's consider materials. The works in this exhibition utilize technological materials and processes to create meaning while inviting us to consider our positions in relation. Anishinaabe as a Jikigan is a monthly gathering with Indigenous artists, thinkers, storytellers, and musicians led by Indigenous culture and media innovations in collaboration with Not Project Space. Join us every third Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. over Zoom. For more information about the gatherings, visit indigitalcultures.ca. You've been listening to Not Project Space, powered by the Digital Arts Resource Centre. This podcast was produced by Anise Duchalm with the help of associate producer Gary Franks. Original music by Adam Sakley. This episode was recorded by Anise Duchalm and Mel Gasselin with special guest Manuel Pina Baldequin and Emilio Portal. It was edited and mixed by Adam Sakley. And of course, it wouldn't have happened without the rest of the team at Dark, Anetta Hagel, Jenna Spencer, Kalaya Bourne, Denise Marchesan Cabral, Feza Lugoma, Christopher Payne, and Daniel Conisvita. Special thanks to the City of Ottawa, the Canada Council for the Arts, and the Ontario Arts Council. Join us once a week this fall on digitalartsresourcecenter.ca slash inspacegray to interact with the works of Ashley Boa and Leslie Marshall, Whitefeather Hunter, Maze Longboat, Tina Pearson, Emilio Portal, Manuel Pina Baldequin and Tosca Taran over the course of online exhibition in Space Gray. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>